The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. All right, thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today, I'm here with my guest, Valerie Bowman. Val, are you ready to share with some quality people? I am ready. All right, perfect. Well, Val, we love to start every show with getting our positive affirmations going to really just spike up the momentum here. So I would love if you could start with a leadership quote or leadership mindset, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? One quote I really love is from uh, General Colin Powell. He said, great leaders are almost always great simplifiers who can cut through an argument, debate, and doubt to offer solutions everybody can understand. And I love that quote because as an engineer, sometimes I'm given very complex problems and then I run through a series of very complex analysis to come up with a solution. But when I have to communicate that solution, it has to be clear, it has to be simple so that other people can buy in and are willing to trust the work that I've done to come up with that solution. So Colin Powell has a lot of really great quotes, but I love this idea of simplification that other people can understand and move forward for improvement. All right. Perfect. I love that to get us started. And what I'll say, at least to our audience that plugs in and and hears that quote, um, what I heard is keep it simple, stupid. So, you know, KISS method all the way. Um, But you're right. You know, I've loved um, so many of the books that I've read from Colin Powell. Um, He's just loaded with a lot of inspirational leadership across the board. So I love that for a great start. So Val, this, I'm really excited again, just to introduce you to our audience, um, to ask you to talk about the work that you're doing, the role that you're in, but I just have to brag, your professional background, love it, because as an industrial engineer, I always geek out when I talk to and get a chance to pull on my fellow IEs, so just thank you, but We'd love for you to share, you know, your professional background, but what got you from, you know, your previous career path and into healthcare? So I'm going to turn the microphone over to you and let you take it away. Sure. Well, Jarvis, after I graduated um, from Iowa State Industrial Engineering, I worked in manufacturing for several years, and I thought I would work in manufacturing for the rest of my life. But about 10 years ago or so, I was working for a company that manufactured windows, and the housing market was not doing very well at the time. And the folks that reported to me, I cut their hours from 40 to 36 to 32 to rolling layoffs. It was not a very good situation. And personally, I had a very, very small child at home, and I had to be at work at 6 in the morning with a 45-minute commute. And most days, I wasn't leaving until well after 5. 
And so professionally, things weren't looking very good, and personally, it was getting more challenging. My husband worked for an IT uh, group at a hospital system, and he said to me, there's this job that's posted, and it kind of looks like what you do. You might want to check it out. And I never considered working in healthcare. I didn't even know it was an option. But I found the job description and read it, and I thought, this might be something I could do. And I applied for the job. And Jarvis, I'll tell you a funny story about that. So I live in Iowa, and some days we get really bad snowstorms. And the day that I had an interview, I was home taking care of my son because our child care fell out for the day. And I needed my husband to come home and take care of the baby so I could go to this interview. But it started to snow. And so he was late, and therefore I was late. I showed up to this interview 15 minutes late. And I thought, there is no way they're hiring me. I wouldn't hire somebody that shows up 15 minutes late to an interview. So I came in thinking, this is done. They're never hiring me. So I was not stressed at all. I just was kind of my usual self. And surprisingly, they hired me. And so I started this journey working in healthcare. And, and now I, I, I don't even think about going back to manufacturing. This is just such an interesting and fascinating career and um, just great people to work with and network with. All right. So it, it just amazes me how many people I've had on the show, Val, that are just like you, I'll say, um, the accidental healthcare professionals. Um, and I'm a part of that. Um, I had a life before healthcare and came into healthcare, and I, like you, never looked back. So um, I appreciate that. Now, I, I do want to highlight that in your current role, you are the, and this is, again, just for me, I think a very unique title for what we do from what I'm used to. So assistant vice president of process improvement and engineering. Now I'm very familiar when they call us, you know, um, um, management engineers, um, quality, you know, so there are so many different titles that we live under, but can you maybe highlight what you're doing specifically as it relates to process engineering or process improvement and engineering, and maybe even why that kind of, title or vision for your role versus all of the other variations of what we do? So that is a great question because there is so much variation in title. It's, it's amazing to me. When I was hired, we started with the title Process Improvement Coordinator. And that title stuck for many years. People became familiar with it. There hadn't been a management engineering group in the past that had disbanded after they completed their activities. So this was a new title. People were starting to enjoy the work that we did. So we didn't want to lose that momentum. However, at one point in time, we combined the work of the engineers with some clinical folks. So what happened was the process improvement coordinator title went to our clinical folks, and those who are engineers got the title process improvement engineer. Um, then several years ago, I was asked to lead the team. Um, so that's where I get the assistant vice president title, and that's why I have process improvement and engineering both. So I cover both of those areas. I actually also have a project manager too, but I think that title will get a little bit too long if I added that onto the end. <laughs> yeah, process process improvement, engineering and project management. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's awesome. And my next question is, see, I didn't even give you a heads up that I was already going off script, but um, so a day in the life, walk us through, you know, what does your role kind of look like the quote unquote day in a life? Um, and I'm hoping, you know, it's touching on obviously process improvement projects, but I'm really hoping to hear things around 
um, you know, strategy work, um, data analytics, just the geeky things that, you know, that we love so much. But um, again, I'll stop talking and just, you know, I want to dig in because I hope as people listen to someone at your level doing exactly what you do, which is what this show is geared for, um, you know, they'll just, you know, hear you talk about it and, and that'll flip the switch that, they want to be you in a few years if they're not already there. So that's that's really my hope. So that's why I'm digging in right now. Well, I, I don't know that I have a usual day, but I will tell you, fortunately with my title, I get to sit at the edge of the big table. Um, I wouldn't say I get to sit at the table, but I get to sit close enough to it that I hear a lot of the conversations of our senior team members and what they value, and that really helps guide where our team should go. Um, you know, it's been challenging these past few months in terms of cost savings um, to cover what's happened with the reduction in elective surgeries. You know, they are really a money-making engine for us. And when it was deemed that we could no longer do them, uh, we had to get very creative about what kinds of things we could do. Um, so that, that opportunity helps me guide what the work of the team is. And you know, we've, we've honestly um, shifted a lot of our focus to making sure that we are driving cost savings in the organization. And not that those process of permit things that we do every day that don't have a direct relationship to the bottom line aren't important. Um, it's just that we have some really strong analytical skills within my team, both kind of engineering side and on the clinical side. So we feel like it's a really good use of our time to try to use those skills and make sure our organization is performing as best it possibly can. So we do all kinds of projects, Jarvis, um, big projects looking at how we can move length of stay and reduce it. Um, we do some projects in revenue cycle, which is, I think, a little unique to our group. I don't know that everyone looks at that, but there's a lot of opportunity there in terms of errors of omission, definition, understanding what the coding folks are looking for versus what our physicians are documenting. Um, right on down to a good old 5S event over in our behavioral health area that probably hasn't looked in their closets for you know, five years, if not 10. So, so we run the gamut, but we really work hard to meet the needs of our, of our leadership team and take their cues in terms of what direction we should be going in. And I um, have a pretty good team in terms of they always want to learn something. So we're never scared of a challenge because we always are trying to figure out, well, that thing I learned last week in class, can I apply that to this? Um, and that makes it fun. It's always neat to see somebody try something new and say, hey, this worked. You know, I came up with a solution. Um, I didn't know I could actually use this in healthcare. Um, it's a great team. We have a lot of fun. It's a little more challenging now that we can't, you know, physically be as close as we used to be, but, but they're wonderful. I, I just can't say enough about how intelligent and how passionate they are and how much they care about our community and making sure that our patients are cared for. All right, perfect. Now, that was just a wonderful just overview of the not-so-typical day in the life, but um, I love how you put it like I sit at the edge of the table. <laughs> I love that. Uh, no, perfect. Well, let me let me try to get back on script just a little bit better here for you, Val. But um, I would love to move you to the next question. And with this, I, I call this our dark place question, because I would love for you to take us on a journey to a point in your healthcare career that you would consider your best moment of failure. Um, share with us, you know, the story or some of the the ins and outs of the situation, some of the decisions you were going through, but definitely um, share with us the major lessons gained from that moment. I'm actually going to take you to prior to my healthcare career. When I was an intern at a large agricultural manufacturer here in central Iowa, 
I was given a task to implement demand flow in a particular subset. Now, demand flow was a concept that's very similar to your lean type concepts. It's uh, Kanbaning and pull systems and triggering of inventory. I was given a book. No formal training. Here's a book about demand flow. There's an area. Go make it happen. And so I, I read the book and I went downstairs to meet with Bob. Bob had worked in this area for decades. And I started telling Bob the things we were going to do to his area. And Bob put me in my place very quickly. And I remember walking back to my office with my tail between my legs thinking, How, what am I going to do? What am I do? And my boss was the person who came in before me and left after me. I never saw her. So I thought, I'm going to email her and ask her, what should I do? Bob's not going to work with me. And so I sent her this note, and I got an email the next morning that said, being an engineer is tough, isn't it? And I thought to myself, I have picked the wrong career. I've wasted all this time in college. I am totally, I've messed up. Like, what am I going to do? But something clicked in my brain, and I thought about this situation from Bob's perspective. Bob had done this job for years. Bob was perfectly happy, and he saw this young female, new engineer coming down telling him what to do. And I thought, you know what, I'd probably be pretty offended too if somebody came down and acted like they knew more. So I changed my perspective. I went down and I talked to Bob and I said, hey Bob, um, how's, how's it going today? He's friendly chat. And I said, Bob, what's, what about your work down here don't you like? And he said, you know, they keep sending me skids of parts. I have no space for these. I got them over here. I got them over there. They're everywhere. And I said, well, that's not, that does sound like a problem. That'd be really irritating. So then I walked away. And the next day I came down. I said, hey, Bob, we were talking about all those skids of parts. And have, we, have you ever thought about maybe we could tell that area over there? They can't send the parts until you've used the old parts. So, you know, you don't have to keep all this inventory here. And he's like, maybe we could do that. So then I walked away. Came back again the next day. I said, Bob, I have this idea. What if we use these, like, Kanban cards? I didn't call them that because, you know, he wouldn't know. What if I use these cards and we could use that to pull the inventory between the two systems? And so gradually, I actually built a relationship with Bob. And he bought in. And he, I, I solved a problem that he had. I didn't assume he had a problem. I had to figure out that he did have a problem. And I had a way to so Bob and I actually became good friends. And then I was asked to move out of his area into the entire tillage line. And so I went cell by cell in each area, worked with each one of those operators, and asked what's working well and what isn't. And by the time we were done, we had literally cleared out an entire cell because the inventory had been managed better, and they were able to bring in a new product. And for them, that was a big deal because they could now hire more operators, and it kind of elevated our status. So I went from this very dark place where I thought, I have messed up my entire life. I wasted all this time and money in college. So actually being pretty successful by changing the mindset and thinking about it from somebody else's perspective and really valuing their experience and their problem. All right. And Valerie, I'm, I'm here right now kind of jotting down so many quick notes and takeaways. And I'll, I'll try not to ask you like five different questions, but I just want to maybe summarize what I heard in your story really quickly. So um, you, the new upstart, you know, woman, engineer in a manufacturing environment, um, going to someone, basically coming up with already the game plan of what needs to be worked on. Um, obviously, that didn't go well, so you had to kind of take a step back. So there's one part in terms of, I'll say, relationship building with your supervisor who didn't sound like it was going to be a, let me take you under my wing and coddle you moment, but, you know, real life engineer, this is hard, figure it out. That's the message that I received in that. 
um, you re-strategize, figured out how to build a long-term relationship with Bob. So it wasn't a, you know, kind of a, a just get it done, but it sounds like it was gradual over the course of a period of time, which I love because that patience and that relationship building goes a long way for the long term. You solved his problem. Now, whether or not, I, I don't know if it connected to organizational goals or whatever else you may have been tasked with, but you solved his problem. And to me, even with the work that I've been doing through my business, you know, I came, I started my business like, oh, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And at the end of the day, I learned that I get more buy-in with the folks I'm trying to work with when I just say, what's your biggest issue? What's your biggest problem that I can solve? That's all they really care about. Um, and then also talking his language. So that's another part of what I gained from your assessment. You walked in his shoes. You kind of saw it from his view versus the, the textbooks that we learn as IEs. So, um, so many different takeaways, but I, I don't know, just give me some feedback. Am I hitting on, on many of the right cylinders with that, that example, that story? Yes, very much so. I think the key thing I learned there was just how to be humble and how to really um, be kind and not assume I know everything because the reality of it is the older I get, the more I realize how much I have left to learn. Nice. Well, and I, I had a very similar moment when I first came into healthcare myself. Um, I'd already had, you know, my PMP and my IE background. And, you know, I had all these credentials and experience leading projects, came into the emergency department, had a group of um, nurses and clinical leaders around the table telling them, all right, guys, we're about to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm, you know, I'm in front of everybody directing like I'm a head coach on a football team. And the most senior nurse there said, hey, new guy, have a seat. And that was my moment of humility. So I, I can appreciate that. I, I know exactly kind of what that felt like. But um, no, I appreciate that story. Again, just the takeaway message for our audience is exactly what you said. You know, have the humility, take the time to build a relationship, see the world from their view and, and kind of walk in their shoes, solve their problems. It goes a very long way. So I love that story. Next question I have for you, Valerie. Um, I would love for you to give our quality people a tip, tool, or tactic that you found works really well for building up that intimate connection within the project teams that you've led and just really share with us what it is and how do you apply it? Well, again, I think humility is a tip I would give anybody working with any kind of project team, especially in healthcare. Um, the folks I work with are very skilled, very knowledgeable. I, I will never know the things that they know. So respecting their work is important. And the other thing I would say is genuine curiosity. That is one thing I have. I am so curious about how people do their work and why did they decide to do that? And, um, and honestly, just personally, why did they pick this as a career? I think sometimes that just genuine curiosity helps me understand them a little bit better and what motivates them. Um, it, we, we work with a uh, discipline called adaptive design and we encourage people to go observe the work of others, and we call it honoring the work. And I, I love that concept of really honoring somebody else's work and, you know, spending time to understand what they're doing and taking the time to observe and ask questions. I think that that aspect of honoring the work, being curious, being humble, those things will help you work with a, with a diverse team of any nature, and it's been helpful for me when I work with healthcare. Uh, I, again, I, I respect that answer. I, I love the 
the the approach there um and even kind of the way you guys have have marketed or kind of branded it honoring the work um can you talk a little bit more uh, a little bit more about that um is there a specific approach that you guys use i know when we go to the gimba you know we're all you know check sheets are kind of done our pre-planning for the gimba um do you all do <clears throat> excuse me any of that around honoring the work well, i don't think we're nearly as formal um, we set some expectations that if you're going to observe the work that you should ask permission and make sure that whoever you're observing understands why you're making the observation. And then um, for me personally, I always tell them, look, I don't know your work. If I am standing in your way and you need something, please just tell me to step aside or if this is not a good time, I can come back at another time. So I think part of honoring the work is understanding that I don't always understand when there's something critical that needs to happen and I might be in your way. And, and my work might not be the most important thing right now. You might need to take care of that patient. Um, so giving people that language of, of how to communicate and how to respect someone before you enter their space and lay eyes on it is important. Wonderful. I love every little bit of that. Um, Val, next question I have for you is, I would love for you to now take us to one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare professional. But again, you know, take us through the moment, share with us how did the idea strike you, and definitely if you're able to turn it into a personal or a professional success. When I first came to healthcare, I thought to myself, what in the world am I going to work on? I assumed healthcare had the gold standard of standard work. I had no idea what I was going to do. Now, of course, I got here, and it became very apparent that that was not the case. There was so much variation in how physicians practiced and nurses practiced, and it was just incredible. And I could not understand why there was so much variation in an industry where it's literally life and death. Why would there be so much variation? So I had an opportunity several years ago to be a part of a work group that um, – worked on a quality initiative through the Alliance of Independent Academic Medical. So our hospital has, a, we have a residency program, but we don't have a medical. So we were eligible to take part in this year-long uh, national initiative in which they were creating a resident quality council, teaching residents about quality and getting them involved in projects. And that was fun. But the aha moment I had was when we went to their national conference I was having dinner one night with a physician who sat beside me, and I just candidly asked him, why do you all practice so differently? I don't understand. And he said to me, ah, but I practice consistently among myself. I treat patients the same. My patients are the same. And it was finally that moment of, oh, I get it. You, you believe you're consistent because you do things consistently. You don't necessarily look at the bigger picture of how your other providers in the group practice and if that's consistent or not. And he talked about how his training prepared him for making decisions and he talked about really about an individual approach. And I think we engineers tend to be taught more of a, a systems approach, a broader approach. And I didn't really appreciate the difference between that approach and the engineering approach I was using. And Jarvis actually took a class um, in spring about engineering ethics, and I thought it was going to be all about um, just case studies. But instead, we talked about different philosophical frameworks. And the one thing that really struck me was, as an engineer, I think we're usually taught this kind of utilitarian framework. You know, what's the greatest good for the greatest number of people? More of a system way of thinking. But I think physicians and caregivers, they look at more of a respect for persons model, and they're looking at each individual situation. 
And it finally dawned on me that, you know what, from a very basic, fundamental way of thinking, the right thing to do from my perspective is going to be different than what a clinician may think. And so trying to figure out how do we still come up with a solution, even though maybe our basic, our basic ethical framework could be different, is challenging. But I think just understanding where they're coming from makes a huge difference in, in how I set things up and how we talk about potential solution to solve problems. All right, so Val, one, that was incredibly insightful aha moment because I can, I mean, first we're talking, you know, variation, we're talking patient care, we're talking, you know, ethics, um, and we're talking just the overall, you know, philosophical approaches. And I, the question I want to ask is like the most impossible question in the world, which is what's the balance, right? Because you know, I, from my experience, Val, my head went into the operating room where it's very common to have surgeons um, who all have different, um, you know, devices or instruments and just a huge amount of variation within a space that is a high revenue area. Um, and all of those instruments and the devices and support, very high dollar. So for us as improvement engineers or improvement professionals, we want to find every way to standardize and systematize and just, you know, just make it as optimized as possible. But to your point, there might be extreme justification for some variation. And like I said, it's not even a fair question. It's not a question. I'm just thinking out loud now, but like, what's the balance? Because somewhere in there is the answer to, I feel like a lot of all the issues in healthcare. Yeah. I think some of it is understanding the requirements of the situation. So, you know, in some cases, a widget is not a widget is not a widget. You, nobody, you know, we have a lot of variation in the cars we drive because we have different requirements for that car. But I think sometimes understanding the very basic requirements will help us build the foundation of, well, what can we standardize versus what shouldn't we standardize? So we don't push too much to standardize and we lose the need of the patient or the need of the provider. That, I think, is a critical piece. But on the flip side, I also think that it's good to educate our providers about thinking about things from a system perspective. So one example I'll give you is one time my lab counterpart came in and said, you know what, we ran out of blood today. There was a provider down in surgery who, you know, made a little mistake, nicked an art, whatever, and they took all the blood supply to try to save this one patient. That was great, right? He was very focused on this one individual patient, but as a result, Nobody else could get blood. So if you think about how just focusing on one person and not considering the system as a whole, you maybe now have affected how many other patients because now they can't get what they need. And I think this COVID situation has forced people to think about more of this utilitarian model because we don't have everything. There aren't enough ventilators. We have to decide who gets them and who doesn't. Um, it's been interesting to watch some of these decisions be made. Um, one of my team members is a part of that ethics team um, at our organization that talks about how will we make these decisions. Um, I think it's forcing folks to think about more of that, that, that model of what's the greatest good. And maybe not everybody is going to get what we ideally would love to give them. No, very, very well stated again. And I don't know if for any of our listeners that plug into this part of the conversation, um, I, I love, you know, to just maybe a call to action, you know, if we can get this conversation going or maybe even with some of our future SHS webinars or virtual series, something like this, that 
like I said, the answer is in there somewhere, but I have no idea. And I've been doing this for quite some time. I know you have as well, Val. It's a struggle, but I think it'll be, it's a fun challenge to figure out. Absolutely. And that, that is why we have a podcast like this to, to get the thoughts going. And trust me, even after this call, I'm going to be like, man, I, I'm, I'm going to dig in around this a little bit more. I might, I don't know, the next essay on this or something. Uh, next question for you, Val. And thank you so much for that. But I would like you to share with us, um, you know, what are some of the current uh, changes that are going on across the healthcare industry that you're personally excited about? And what role do you see quality improvement professionals playing to promote it or to support its longevity? Service, when I started here 10 years ago, we had very little access to data. If we wanted to analyze something, we had to go collect it manually, or if we were lucky enough to have it in some kind of electronic medium, we had to go back and verify it. Now we have more data than we know what to do with. It's incredible. Since these EHRs came out, there are fields upon fields of data. And it is a, it's a wonderful thing that now we have access to the data, but I think it can be very dangerous. And I'll, I'll tell you about that because right now I, I feel like there's a lot of people who maybe have like MIS backgrounds who can get to that data. They have access. They have the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. And they have the ability to create visualizations of it. And I think visualizations are important. But I think people that have a quality background or an engineering background, they understand the scientific method. They understand what is, what's the problem. I have a hypothesis. I'm going to test that hypothesis using data. It's not just visualizing things to see what's going on. It's really a method to test something we think maybe is going on or a potential problem that we're having. And, you know, statisticians are kind of inherently taught that process of, of scientific um, exploration or inquisition, if you will. I'm not really sure that folks who are, have just been classically trained in pulling data and managing databases have that. Um, so I think that there's a great opportunity for, you know, people in quality improvement, process improvement to partner with people who have data. Um, and, you know, I just even recently we've, we are aware of some data that was pulled, but understanding why it was what populations are included or not included, what other factors that aren't in discrete fields that need to be considered, um, all that work hasn't been done yet. So I don't think that there is an elimination of a need for statisticians. I, mean, I think you're always going to have to make inferences from a small sample rather than always have everything available in discrete data fields. So I, I really do feel like there's an opportunity there that people in our space can help help make good decisions about is the data really representative of the system? Is it representative of the problem? Um, is, it, is there a problem? I mean, is there a problem to be solved uh, when we're looking at this data? So I think there's a great opportunity there, and I hope that we can marry our um, efforts together, you know, take the data, but then also making it meaningful. Um, and I think, I think that would make a big difference going forward so that we're not making decisions after bad data, but we're also not just making decisions based on just what I've heard and not really having any, anything concrete to back it up. Well, the, the, the timing of your comment there is so interesting because I was just on a call maybe about an hour ago, hour and a half ago, um, with a group of executives, the team that I'm supporting here in Atlanta, and I will be recruiting a new uh, lean consultant for them. And I made the statement, I said, guys, you know, from, from my assessment, we need more data support. So I'm 
intentionally going to try to find a lean consultant, hopefully, you know, someone with an engineering background, but who has a very strong data analytical background, not, you know, kind of data science world strong, but problem solving, you know, statistical application data strong. And that's, you know, that's the biggest, I think, opportunity I see when it comes to data. We have a lot of very intelligent data people um, who don't always understand operations. And like you said, even the application of the scientific method. So it's not just data for the sake of data. It's let's understand the problem. So there's the reporting and there's the analysis. There's the what's going on and why is it going on piece. And so that's exact uh, a conversation I literally just got off the phone with right before our call. So um, I love the, the insight there. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't even have an extra follow-up question for you. I, I'll stay on track for you. <laughs> uh, Val, next question I have for you. Um, how can the healthcare industry become a more attractive and, uh, excuse me, a more attractive place for ambitious, talented, quality improvement professionals to either start and or grow their careers? That's a really good question, Doris, because, you know, as I think about it, I, I think that there are a lot of young, in, in particular, industrial engineers who would love to join healthcare. I, I think it is a very attractive place for them because you know, engineers are curious about the systems and how to improve them. I think there are challenges, though, to get industrial engineers into healthcare. And those barriers aren't necessarily related to attraction. They're related to things like, well, how well did my education prepare me to go into healthcare? Um, if I went to an institution that focused a lot on manufacturing, I might not feel very well prepared. How do I find a job in healthcare? I mean, like you mentioned earlier, we have hundreds of different job titles. It, it, it runs the gamut. What, what do I put in my Google search in to see if there's a job available or not? Um, the amount of networking it takes to get a job is a lot different on the healthcare side than it is on the engineering side. I mean, I could walk an engineering career fair. There's 300 booths there, and I can have an interview tomorrow. Healthcare doesn't necessarily do that. You know, it's more effort on the part of the person who would like to join healthcare to do to um, make those connections and find those places that are hiring. So. I think healthcare is attractive. I just think that there's there's other barriers out there that are preventing um, folks to get into industrial engineering. And I, and I think another side of that is I'm not sure that all healthcare institutions understand what IEs do or how they could be valuable on their team. It's you know the term itself kind of sounds yucky, industrial engineering, um, but I think that. There's work to be done there, and and I think those of us who've worked in institutions, like, we've seen people say, "Oh my gosh, this is wonderful work." You know, we need people like you. But uh, getting the word out has been slow. So I think we have work on our side. Um, mm. It's not on the healthcare side. It's on our side to really show that we can. We want to be a part. We want to help. Here's how we can do it. Here's how we can add value to your organization. No, I love it, and I agree. 10,000% with what you said there, especially around um, just healthcare, understanding what we do. And that I think is kind of the gift and the curse of being an IE sometimes is we can almost literally do a little bit of everything, um, which almost feels like sometimes we can do nothing because if folks don't understand how to leverage those capabilities, but um, no, really, really awesome feedback there. I appreciate that. Um, 
Val, I'm going to move us forward, but uh, just a heads up, we are going to move into a part of the show that I call the two-minute drill. Um, very much my take on kind of a rapid-fire Q&A, but I always like to check and make sure my guests are feeling good and, and ready to go. So how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Ready to go. All right. Perfect. Well, <clears throat> next question I have for you, Val, is something of a two-parter where I'd love for you to first tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best, but then also share with us, how do you inspire others within your organization? Um, what inspires me to do my best is my mother worked in healthcare her whole life, and she wasn't happy with the processes um, that she worked within. So I think about that a lot, about how if somebody like me was in her organization, could it have been better? Would she have been um, more pleased with her job than what she was? So that inspires me. Nice. And then how I inspire others, I hope that I inspire others because I am really, truly passionate about using our resources the best way we possibly can, whether it be our physicians or nurses who've dedicated their education and careers to helping people, or even just our the resources we spend money on. Um, CT scanner, how, how do we use that the most effectively so that our community and our patients are well cared for? All right, wonderful. And what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Um, I was at a point in my career where I could have left the organization that I'm at, and somebody very wise said to me, ask for what you want. And I never heard anyone say that to me before. Ask for what you want. Love it. I love it. Um, I thought you were going to say engineering's hard, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Good advice, too. <laughs> All right, next question, Val, is if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? Well, this is a tough one because I can't think of anybody's specific job I would want. Um, if I had the opportunity, though, I would take on more I would take on more responsibility in our analytics side of the house. I don't necessarily own that right now. And like I said earlier, I think there would be a great partnership between process improvement and analytics that could really – solve some problems and move, um, move some solutions forward. All right, wonderful. And that's a fair answer. I, I, it's almost feels like a 50-50 split. Folks either have someone that they would switch jobs with or they're like, no one, I'm good. Like, I love what I do. So awesome answer. Um, Val, I would love if you could share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality improvement initiatives. I tend to focus not on the solution, but how we will arrive at the solution. What will be the tools that we will use to make a decision? And how do I understand the values that will make for the best solution possible? All right. Very, uh, very interesting. Very forward thinking as you tackle your improvement projects. Um, Val, what is your go-to website or mobile, applica mobile application that supports the work that you lead? Uh, you know what? It has all switched over to Microsoft Teams. We used to use a bunch of different tools, but right now that has been our go-to since COVID has taken over our lives. All right. And everybody on the show knows that I am such a huge fan of teams. Like, it's just, that's my life anyway. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, Val, uh, curious to see where you go with this one, but uh, could you please share with our quality people a professional society and a professional conference that you think will be a value add? Uh, best. Society, Society for Health Systems, and their conference, the uh, Healthcare Systems Process Improvement Conference, best thing ever. First time I went, went to the first presentation, I had this moment where I thought, oh, I found my people. They're here. <laughs> 
Awesome. I've obviously been connected with the group, I don't know, probably six, seven years now. Um, and that was my feeling as well. So I, I do have to really go off script now, Val, and give you just a huge shout out. Um, just the past few months working with you through SHS has been really good. Um, I, in my years of doing all the webinars and things that we do through SHS, I can't say anybody has been as engaged and just take charge and energetic as you have. So kudos to you and just keep it up. Um, I'm loving it. And it makes my life easy when folks engage me versus me hunting everyone down and trying to come up with webinar ideas myself. So thank you for everything. Great job. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Um, Val, if you could recommend a book to our quality people, what would it be and why? Uh, a book called Simple Habits for Complex Times by Jennifer Garvey Berger. It is a book that isn't your traditional quality improvement book, but it talks about improvement from a complex system perspective. And it's, it's very um, interesting, a little different than what I've been trained in, um, but I, I think it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating approach to problem solving in a complex system, which healthcare very much is. All right. Interesting. I'm not familiar with that, but I just jotted it down. So I will probably be checking that out personally. I love when I record these conversations because I obviously get access to everything first. So I will be checking <laughs> that out. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Um, last question, Val, but just to let you know, this is, you know, this is it. This is the make or break for our entire conversation here. But I would like to now try to get you to reflect on your past, Val, why you also look forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second to think about it, but what would you communicate in both of those messages? Well, when I think about what I would send to my past self, I would say, stay humble and grateful and good things will happen. Best in Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And when I think about what I would send myself in the future, I would actually send myself a link to a video of David Foster Wallace's commencement speech to Kenyon College in 2005. The speech is called This is Water. It is one of my favorite things to listen to. He talks about how our default setting is that we're very selfish people and that if we can be very intentional about what we choose to think about, we can change our perspective. We can be happier people. We can maybe perhaps, you know, the person that cuts us off that we want to scream at, you know, maybe we could think about that differently. Maybe they have a small child that's sick and they need to get to the hospital and their urgency is more than mine could ever be. It's a fantastic speech and, and every time I listen to it, it makes me reflect on the things I value and um, what I choose to think about and what kind of person I would like to be. So I would love to get that message 10 years from now and reflect on that again. Um, he's, a, he's an author, and he wrote a very thick book that was very difficult to read, but I got through it's like a 1,000 pages. But I really think that he had some things to say about our society today that 10 years from now we'll look back on and say, ah, you know, he saw something that we didn't. So that, that's what I would like to see 10 years from now in my, in my message inbox. Wonderful. Very, very reflective and, and very, again, forward thinking. So I love um, both of those messages. Um, Val, I, I love this entire conversation. Um, you exceeded my expectations. So I, I told you, you know, when we first got on that I was really excited about this to uh, just 
talk to you, to learn more about you, but um, very fun conversation. I think you just dropped a lot of really good insights, a lot of good knowledge, and I know that our audience are going to just truly value, you know, listening and learning more about you as well. But um, Val, before I let you go, I would love if you could share a parting piece of advice. Um, please do share the best way that our audience can follow or connect with you through social media, and then we'll officially sign off. Great. Well, your audience can find me on LinkedIn, um, Valerie Woolman. I think I'm the only one out there. So please connect with me. I'm happy to um, share messages or just even connect through there. Or you can email me. My email address is valerie.bowman at unipoint.org. Happy to talk with you. I love connecting with other professionals. In All right. Perfect. And um, parting advice, any, any last words before we cut you loose? Yeah, I think my parting advice to everyone is, it, it can be challenging, right? That email I got, it's hard to be an engineer. But I think if you find your passion and you are genuine and true to other people, we can make healthcare better together and um, lift each other up and you know, create a better space for our communities. So, so I would just say to folks, find your passion, keep moving forward, and stay humble and kind. Wonderful. Well, Val, again, thank you just so much for everything, for your time, for your expertise, your insights um, to our quality people everywhere. Thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Val, and we are signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.